What if you could complete your MBA in just one year? Thanks to the College of Charleston School of Business, now you can. Their accelerated MBA program condenses a traditional two-year program into one rigorous year, ensuring you not only save a year of tuition and fees, but also re-enter the workforce quickly and graduate with critical business knowledge. U.S. News & World Report recognized the College of Charleston MBA as number one in the country for its job placement rate within three months of graduation. Learn more at mba.cfc.edu. Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Good morning, and welcome to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Each Saturday morning at 9, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts of Beyond the Business, Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood. And great Saturday morning, Lowcountry. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business, heard here on 94.3 WSC and simulcast on iHeartRadio. Or you may be listening to us via podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or at our website at CoastalWM.com. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cox, here on this Saturday morning with the lovely and talented Leslie Haywood, remotely. Remotely. Yes, again. Good Saturday morning to you, Low Country. And to continue the fun beyond Saturday morning, make sure and like our Facebook page, Beyond the Business, or talk to us on Twitter at BTBCHS. And, of course, Beyond the Business is presented by the School of Business over at the College of Charleston, where students are beyond ready to work. They are ready to make an impact. And certainly, we hope we are making an impact every Saturday morning to bring you stories of leadership and entrepreneurship from around the Lowcountry. And, Leslie, doing it remotely again, as we have for several months now. Uh, how are things over in West Ashley this morning? Oh, they're doing great. It's it's lovely over here. Two teenagers in the house, so I don't know what's going to happen. You know, we might have people barging in, crying, screaming, or saying they're hungry. You know, it, it, this is just the life we're living in right well, now, right? And this is this is the way it is. We just roll with the punches, whatever goes down. All right. So, <laughs> right. Um, but you know what, Leslie, the the joy of getting to do this show week in and week out is is truly our 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 guests that come on and share this. Yes. Amazing stories of, again, leadership and entrepreneurship. Last week was no exception. We had Chip Collins, uh, who's the broker in charge of Collins Group Realty down in the Hilton Head area. And, and if there's an advantage out of doing this remotely is that we're actually able to have guests on from other parts of the state. Um, and Chip was just a fireball, man. I loved his story. Um, I thought he there's a lot of things I resonated with. I'm sure you found a nugget or two. Um, won't you share one of those with our listeners this morning? There was a takeaway for you. Absolutely. So uh, the tagline for this show is people you know, stories you don't. And so it's those things that happen that maybe some, maybe no one else knows about him. And uh, one story that was really impactful is when he talked about a road trip as a child um, where him and his father and family hit an icy patch on a bridge coming down from Ohio going to Hilton Head. And he said, cars were spinning out left and right. And there were people smashing into guardrails and it was just chaos everywhere. And him and his siblings are in there and his parents are, you know, trying to navigate through that. And he said, his dad maneuvered through the incident unscathed. And from that 
moment as a child, he took away how he lives his life, including his business, with such extreme focus. And if you just stay calm and steady and don't worry about what other people are doing around you, literally, even if someone is spinning out and hitting a guardrail, if you just keep your eye on the goal and just be calm and steady, as long as you don't lose your focus, the stuff around you is just noise and you'll make it to the other side. So, I mean, I was just like, wow. You know, what? Uh, those are the kind of things that this show lets us learn about people. Yeah, and I mean, I have to quit letting you go first, by the way, because you always take the best nuggets and you are spot on. <laughs> Um, I love the way he so eloquently like described first. that. Yeah, I noticed that. You're always taking everything away from me there, Leslie. But uh, uh, what a great show. Again, Chip Collins, if you miss that show, simply go to uh, iTunes or Spotify and type in Beyond the Business. You'll be able to pull up his show and really all of our shows now going back over the last uh, six years, believe it or not. Um, and so um, check that out or go to our website at Coastal wm.com and click on the radio icon and you can listen to it there as well and speaking of people you know stories you don't uh, we are going to turn to our next guest who we have i would guarantee say in studio who we have also virtually online with us uh, so we're excited to have mr brian dareberry who is the president and ceo of the charleston metro chamber of commerce good morning brian good morning eric and leslie thank you for um, giving me this great opportunity today well, you say that now. We'll see what you say when we finish the segment. But uh, we're excited to have you online. And obviously, Brian, there is an immense amount going on um, in in Charleston right now. Just uh, um, not to mention growth and all the great things we've been exhibiting, but with the crisis. So we're going to talk a lot about that uh, as we probably get into next week's show. But as we typically do, our show is really more about you as a person and sort of the the, the, the life or the scenes behind who you are today. And uh, Leslie, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So we're going to take things way back. Um, let's talk a little bit about your upbringing. Where were you born? Your family situation? Um, what kind of kid were you? We've got five hours, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> See, this is the good stuff. We want to hear about car wrecks and all that. Come on. Well, my mom and dad um, were from two very small towns. Um, my dad was raised in Copperhill, Tennessee. And right over the border, my mom was raised in McKaysville, Georgia. So the, um, the far southeastern corner of Tennessee and the far central north portion of Georgia. Um, so probably not more than 3,000 people in both towns combined at that time. And uh, my dad did come to South Carolina to get his engineering degree from Clemson University. And kind of a neat story for me, he was all excited to go back and work in the copper mines as a, an engineer helping them process copper and um, got back. And my grandfather, Dearberry, said, well, I know the, the general manager over there. I'll get you an interview opportunity. So my dad goes in. He's got his brand new spanking degree from Clemson and sits down with this guy and says, man, I want to go to work for city services. And the gentleman looks at him and says, we're not going to be mining copper here for the next 25 years. It's going to be gone. Why would you want to come to work here? And he said to him, I've got a good friend that's with Babcock and Wilcox in Lynchburg, Virginia. And that's a going outfit. They're getting into the nuclear reactor business. I'll get you an interview. So a, a year later, after a stop in Barberton, Ohio with B&W, 
my dad came back to Lynchburg and I was born there. And one of my takeaways from that story is the power of an individual speaking into another's life and giving them great career advice. And that man had sat down with my dad on the first time and gave him that advice. And my dad listened. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of times we get good advice and um, we might let it come in one ear and go out the other. So that launched a career for my father in both energy and defense. And uh, his corporate career took us from Lynchburg uh, to New Haven, Connecticut, to St. Louis, Missouri, where he helped run a nuclear reactor facility. And then in seventh grade, um, we moved to Cleveland, Ohio. My dad said, we're done moving. So um, my sister, Allison, who's three and a half years younger than I am, uh, we did all of our middle school, high school in northeastern Ohio. My mom and dad ended up living there for almost 34 years. So um, little did I realize that that moving around the country would would mirror my actual career. So um, I started out at the Cincinnati Chamber. As we're, I we're, I'm going to stop you for a minute because you're going to jump ahead on us, and we don't want to skip all the good juicy stuff. So okay. um, talk a little bit about as a kid. What were you like as a kid um, and, and sort of, you know, school? Were you studious? Were you into sports? Just what, what were you like? Yeah, I um, I had the, the interesting honor of being the first grandchild born on either side, and uh, obviously oldest in my family, so no pressure at all to perform. <laughs> um, so um, I was studious, um, had the opportunity to play baseball and run cross country, and um, uh, it was fun for me to be able to go through those moves, because um, I think while they're hard initially, uh, it allowed me to have a lot of unique chapters in my life that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And um, enjoyed, you know, my sister a great deal because when you move, guess who your best friend is each time for the first few months? Sure, so, your um, siblings, right? Allison and I are tight, and uh, I think my mom and dad were always thoughtful and reflective on every move. Um, my dad was kind of funny when we were in St. Louis. Um, he came home with a new opportunity in Cleveland and said, "Well." You're going to get a better football team, but you're not going to get a better baseball team. So uh, I had to give up my Cardinals and become an Indians and a Browns fan. And uh, I am, till this day, a long-suffering Browns fan, as well as Indians and Cavaliers in Ohio State. Uh, but I always respected how you know, mom and dad would take the time to involve us in where we were going to go to school, what neighborhood we were going to live in. And um, you know, I've talked to some friends that had like corporate moves. And they said, yeah, our parents just came home and said, we're going. Right. So, um, I, I really felt as though each time we had that move, uh, it was a good experience for us. Uh, had to laugh. We, um, had about an acre and a half in St. Louis and we had literally played so much baseball in that backyard that we'd burned a diamond in the grass. And when we moved to uh, Euclid, Ohio, outside of Cleveland, we had a, a postage stamp backyard. So we got out of the car and my sister said, where's the rest of our yard? <laughs> um, but fortunately, we um, had a chance to be part of a, a swim and tennis club at the end of the street that was right next to Lake Erie. So mom and dad zipped us down uh, the block right away so we could see the fun stuff we could do there. So I think it made me really flexible as a child um, from the standpoint that I got to see how things changed. 
uh, got to experience the Northeast, the Midwest, and as we call it, the North Coast of America and Cleveland, um, all in a relatively quick time frame. Um, so, you know, it was hard leaving St. Louis, left in sixth grade, and um, had my buddies, had my sports teams. Um, but I think till this day, I'll always view myself as a Clevelander. So it ended up being a great experience. But at the time, it was hard. Now, in high school, what were you thinking that you wanted to do when you grew up? And all of this moving around, and did your dad influence your decision at that time? You being in high school, what did the future look like for you? You know, it was interesting. I um, I really admired and respected my dad as a, an engineer, but I knew that's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved reading. I loved speaking. Um, so I went to Wittenberg University for my undergraduate degree, which is a small private liberal arts school in Springfield, Ohio, and one of the best academic institutions in the state. And I fell in love at even a deeper level with, with all those things, um, how to bring people together to do things, um, the opportunity to speak and motivate, the opportunity to write and read. And one of my greatest concerns was, will I be able to do that with a career? Um, because those aren't things you typically get to do every day in a career. So, um, went to American university for graduate studies in American politics and international relations and had a chance to, um, be part of a a lobbying internship and, and really enjoyed that understanding what key issues are and how to mobilize people around things that are important to them. So, um, oddly enough, my wife, my wife's parents had a neighbor two doors up, and um, the the gentleman was on the Cincinnati Chamber's Government Relations Committee and saw him coming out of church one day, and he said, hey, we're looking for a state lobbyist. I know you had that degree experience and background in D.C. Would you be interested? And I said, yes, I would. So um, after a six-month process of waiting and lobbying, uh, ended up having that chance to use all those things I fell in love with in school as a professional. So um, it worked out. Crazy how the path twists and turns, right? And by the way, in case you're wondering whose voice that is, Mr. Brian DeBerry, who is the president and CEO of the Charleston Metro Chamber of Commerce. And Brian, as we're kind of walking through your story and you're coming out of college, it sounds like your first role was in the lobbying world. Uh, talk about what that was like as you know a youngster entering uh, a very challenging and competitive kind of field. Uh, what were some of your first experiences like? Well, imagine yourself as a 26-year-old representing the interest of 7,000 businesses in southwestern Ohio and and going to the Ohio General Assembly for the first time. Uh, it was kind of interesting, and it's why I'm a big believer in mentoring. Um, I had a mentor, and her name was M.J. Klein, and M.J. was the lobbyist for the University of Cincinnati. So she had lobbied for over 35 years in Columbus, and she was my caddy for the first year of my lobbying experience, and I could have never asked for a better mentor. Um, MJ taught me about how to understand a legislator, to get to know their family, uh, to get to know their district, to um, look at their committee assignments. And most importantly, I learned all that in graduate school. She taught me how to build friendships. And uh, we were really blessed in Cincinnati. We had the Senate president, 
Stan Aronoff, the Senate President Pro Tem, uh, Dick Finan, uh, House Minority Leader Lou Blessing. So we had a great delegation. And just the opportunity to work with them over those next three years uh, was really fantastic. Um, but my wife, Gail, said, uh, the girls are starting to call you Uncle Daddy. Um, yeah, Sarah and Claire were you know, young at that time, and I would leave the house on Monday afternoon and not get home till Friday evening. So my mother-in-law, oddly enough, you never know where you're going to get career advice, um, saw a job opening for the president and CEO of the Middletown, Ohio Chamber and the Cincinnati Business Journal. And I had lobbied with John Power, who was the lobbyist at Armco Steel in Middletown, and called John up and um, said, I'm interested. So four months later, I was the new president of the Middletown, Ohio Chamber of Commerce and uh, got to go from being Uncle Daddy to Daddy. Um, so that, that was a great move for us as a, as a family, uh, a neat community of about 80,000 people. And, um, you know, we look back finally on that time period because um, it, it was a fun transition from being, you know, neck deep every day in the issues to seeing how a town works. And, and that's a whole different story than how uh, a legislature works. So it was, uh, it was a really cool transition, wonderful community. Now, was there anything during your lobbying days, any mistakes that you made that you take with you during those crazy times? Something that you learned? I think, I think the biggest thing I learned is that there's power in building coalitions. We um, ended up working with six other chambers statewide uh, in that time period. And um, Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, uh, Akron, Dayton, Toledo, and Canton all came together. And um, my initial learning, probably the, the hard thing to, to carry forward is, I thought that would be falling off like a, you know, falling off like a, falling off of a log. Um, the reality is all those communities had their own agendas and, and they were different. So how to get seven communities to come together on important issues uh, was really powerful. Uh, we did great work on uh, statewide workers' compensation reform, product liability reform, uh, funding for our individual universities and road opportunities. So um, something I took with me the rest of my career is don't think you can do it all on your own. Um, reach out to those that have like interest and figure out how to make it work. Uh, I think the other thing I learned is that um, it's easy to listen to the big companies. So the, the Proctors and Gambles, the Cincinnati Bells, the Federateds. But the beauty of chambers is out of those 7,000 members, just like our chamber here, 80% of those are small business. So taking the time to really get to know small business owners better and and see what it means for somebody that has 35 employees to try to make it work when their workers' compensation insurance is so expensive. Um, so I think just slowing down to go fast was a, was an important learning at that time period. And um, that, that while you spend a lot of time in the hallways of government, spending time across a desk or at a conference room table with a bunch of small business owners is a equally important and rewarding. So you can't tell the story without knowing the story.
Absolutely. Well said. And, and so, for our listeners' sake, Brian, whether and I know you've had many chamber roles and you've been in chambers all across this country, right? Talk a little bit about what the, what is the role, whether small or large, uh, of a chamber of commerce in a community. You know, the real role, you know, I'd say there are there are three of them. Number one, it's to to lead the private sector in collaboration with the public sector in advancing the region. So the, the best communities that I've been involved with, it's a partnership. It's not one deferring to the other or one having the full leadership role. So representing that collective voice and also building a partnership. Uh, another dynamic role for chambers is helping them to do commerce. There's a reason that's in our name. Um, so connecting people uniquely in ways that they would never run into each other otherwise. Um, one of my chamber board chairmen here, Chris Frazier, said, yeah, I, I love the meetings, but for me, out in the parking lot af afterwards, when I can pick somebody's brain about how to grow my business effectively, or if I have an innovative idea, I can vet it with them. So, you know, that whole that thing of putting wise people together where they collide, um, that's one of our top goals. And then the other thing is just how we make sure the region has the right mix of assets. Uh, I truly believe that it's not the ingredients in a region that matter, it's how you mix them. And a lot of communities have fantastic ingredients, but they can't figure out how to bring the right players and ingredients together for success. Where I've been in communities that had maybe, maybe less quality ingredients, but man, they knew how to work together. And those are the communities that win. Um, it's not so much what your attributes are, it's how you put them together. So that's the other thing we spend so much time on is how do we be catalytic from that perspective? Um, so how do we bring the right players together on the right opportunities and work together effectively? Awesome. Now, how did you get to Charleston? Well, there was a great desire. My um <clears throat> Two jobs ago, we were in Hickory, North Carolina, Catawba County, North Carolina, which is about 50 miles uh, northwest of Charlotte. And that's where all of our, our family is originally from, um, Western North Carolina. Then I talked about where mom and dad were in, in Georgia and Tennessee. And um, wanted to have the opportunity to run the largest chamber in the state. So that took us to Wichita and uh, loved our eight years there. Awesome folks. Um aerospace capital of the world, which was a, a great way to learn about what needs to happen for uh, an aerospace cluster. But we always wanted to get back to the South. Um, so I um, learned that my predecessor, Charles Van Rieselberg, was retiring and uh, threw my hat into the interview ring. And um, we got to come to what I think is the most beautiful place in the world. Slightly what, what time frame was this, by the way? We, we arrived here in 2011. Okay. So March of 2011. So, so at that time, obviously that's that's been nine years or so ago. At that time, Brian, what was it about the role, y'all wanted to come south, of course, but the role specifically of taking over the chamber in Charleston that was so attractive to you? You know, I, I think we've seen it fully now over the last nine years. Even then, emerging from the recession, 
our economy is so diverse. You know, most places you have one or two healthy business sectors. And if one of those goes down, your community's in trouble. We're, well, here, between Joint Base Charleston, uh, between the port, between IT software, between, at that point, it was only aerospace advanced manufacturing. Now it's aerospace and auto. Uh, between our healthcare cluster, um, we're just really unduly blessed with a healthy, robust economy. So that's one of the things I always look at. Uh, the other thing is a lot of folks don't know this, and maybe our listeners today will find it interesting. Um, this is the oldest continuing operating chamber in the United States. Uh, wow. we, were, we were founded three years before our nation was a country, 1773. So uh, we'll turn 250 years old in 2023. Um, so that was really cool. Um, you know, you, you only find a few universities and churches and some colonies that are older than that. Um, so that kind of legacy attracted me. And man, once you get here, I interviewed in February and, you know, I left, uh, almost eight inches of snow on the ground in Wichita. And, uh, one of the days I was here, it hit 65 degrees and I thought, Woo. <laughs> no brainer. It's not only beautiful, it's not only robust, it's just got a great climate. So all those, all those things. The other thing that, that struck Gell and me so quickly when we got here was just the hospitable and friendly nature of our people. Um, everywhere I've lived, you know, there are great people everywhere. Somebody always says to me, where's your favorite stop? And um, they're all equally great. Uh, but the people here are truly special. So that was another big big attractor. That's awesome. So are we getting ready to wrap things up? Uh, we got time for, time for uh, one more quick one. Yeah. Time for one more quick one. Awesome. So um, how was your family? Were they behind you hundred percent when you made the move? You know, that's been the, the most interesting part of my career and the most challenging. Um, <clears throat> when we moved to Wichita, our younger daughter, Claire was uh, a rising junior in high school. And uh, Claire was a gifted athlete in North Carolina, and um, just the, the challenge of moving families. And um, I want to stop for a second there because it's nothing like what our folks at Joint Base Charleston and the military do. Um, my son jokingly said, well, we're on the eight-year plan. Um, I can't imagine what it would be like to be on the two- to three-year plan. I think it's made our children very resilient, and um, they've been successful and everything they've undertaken. But man, when you got to sit down and say, um, we're moving, they were behind us coming here. Um, they were all up and out, but when they heard where we were coming, they said, Oh, awesome. So, um, yeah, this is pretty incredible how cycles repeat themselves as you did as a child. How about that? So yeah. um, unfortunately, Brian, we have run out of time for today's segment, but we'll look forward to having you back next Saturday morning to hear the rest of the story. And thank you again for sharing this morning. Again, you've been listening to Brian Dareberry, who's the president and CEO of the Charleston Metro Chamber of Commerce here on Beyond the Business, presented by the College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work. They're ready to make an impact. And until next Saturday morning, Low Country. 
Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Tune in next Saturday morning at 9 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC. The College of Charleston School of Business is recognized among the top 30 colleges for studying business abroad by the Business Research Guide. With nine undergraduate majors, 10 minors, and six concentration areas, an honors program in business, and master's programs in business and accountancy, the College of Charleston School of Business has more than 3,000 students enrolled. Their students are ready to work, and they're ready to make an impact. For more info, visit sb.cfc.edu.